0: Hello and welcome to Comedy in a Nutshell, a podcast in which I, Mark Decano, discuss the inherently broad term comedy in all its wide-ranging and wondrous machinations, and then somehow expect my guest to distill it down to its tiniest essence, like some sort of deranged and fatuous alchemist. I make no apology for the number of other people's quotes in this episode, because how can I possibly describe my guest better than Ukulele Sex Pest and Human Muppet? except to say that she has absolutely smashed fringe festivals from Edinburgh to Adelaide and online fringe magazine Gutter Culture called her latest show, Daddy, a feminist masterpiece. It's comedy cabaret phenomenon, Jamie Michaela.
1: Hello.
0: Hello. Hi. Hey,
1: how are you going?
0: I'm good. How have you been? You all right?
1: Yeah, doing all right. Doing all right. It's my uh, day off from work. So I'm very, very relaxed today. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So, um, where does the young Jamie Michaela get started on the road to cabaret and comedy in her life?
1: Oh, okay. So that's a that's a really good question. Thank you. Uh, so i I started out as an old school theater kid, um, like quite old school theater kid, typical theater nerd. No friends during high school. Spent my time watching, like. Old Hollywood musicals and stuff like that. And then yeah. eventually I went on to uh, study musical theater and I got a certificate in musical theater.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then um, I, when I was in about year 11, I started getting a little bit more rebellious and mm-hmm. I started um, skipping school and Ooh. I would skip school to go work in a record store uh because there was a bunch of like people in their mid-20s who were running the store that just wanted to smoke weed in the um alleyway upstairs uh, upstairs and um there turned out to be this uh 15 year old uh that just wanted to sit at the till and listen to local music all day and so they were like oh we're not going to pay you but you can as long as like nobody steals shit uh you're all good to go and I started sneaking into gigs and stuff like that and um I I was I was snuck into this one gig um, that absolutely blew my mind. I was writing a lot of folk music and stuff like that, and I was performing mm-hmm. in venues that I shouldn't have been performing in because uh, of the liquor licensing laws. But you know, pff, that's their problem. <laughs> um, it's not on me. Um, and I I went to this show, and um, something changed in my brain. Uh, when I was at this show, I saw this guy who was, like, standing on top of a bar table, very precariously balanced, yeah. wailing a cover of David Bowie's Oh You Pretty Things over this kind of, like, <laughs> like imagine if, like, Chicks on Speed did an arrangement of Oh You Pretty Things. It was like that, just pure, like, clash, like, electropunk craziness. And it was, like, standing room only. And I was standing up against this pillar watching this guy, like, like whale like crooning style whale and I was like what is this and it completely like something broke in my brain like I short-circuited and I'm like oh this is what I want to do this whatever this guy is doing I want (laughs) to do that oh oh this is oh this puts a spanner in the bloody works Um, and I found out that this was a fundraising show for uh, this fella to go to Edinburgh Fringe. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, what's what's he doing in Scotland? And that's how I got introduced to cabaret stuff in the kind of context that I do. I knew of it through like kind of like your Amanda Palmers and things like that and the Dresden Dolls who like I was obsessed with when I was going through kind of like this very weird goth phase um where i did makeup like susie sue every day but i just ended up looking like a clapped robert smith it was a state um it was it was bad it was bad i was just like i'm part of the brumley contingent uh, i i was not i was a kid in uh, regional western australia um and yeah, so I did more digging and I became like basically obsessed with this guy and his music
2: mm-hmm. and
1: like what he was doing and his performances. And I was like, this is this, this is this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And like yeah. he was roaming around this audience. People were terrified of him, but you you couldn't tear your eyes away, right? Like it was, it was genuinely like for my little fifteen-year-old brain that shit was intoxicating. I'm like, what is this like level of power that you've got? This is fantastic. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I want whatever that is, um, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and so then I ended up discovering like a bunch of the like London cabaret crew through through him and yeah. I discovered people like uh, Tricity Vogue who does Tricity Vogue's ukulele cabaret every month in London um, who like I've now gotten to do that gig, which is amazing. Uh, people like Laurie Black who I've gone on tour with when she was touring in Australia and I've done shows with over here now. I discovered people like Marcel Lucan. I discovered people like Frisky and Manish like like, all of yeah. these, like, Joe Black, who's now, like, a drag race, like, phenomenon, and um, I just immerse myself entirely, and I'm like, oh, oh, this is the perfect combination of what I want to do. I, I want to do this. I want to be one of these guys. Yeah. And it was it was a, it, it was a weird weird time, and then I ended up applying to do this thing called Six Hundred Seconds, which is run by the Blue Room Theatre in Perth, Western Australia.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: i i was in I was in year twelve, and um, I was one of their youngest applicants. And I was like, I want to do. Uh, it's a selection of performances that are ten minutes long, and I was oh, like, nice. I want to do a ten minute murder mystery comedy cabaret. <laughs> they were like. Sorry, what? And I'm like, did I stutter? I want to do that. (laughs) And they're like, you know what? Fuck it. We're going to give you a bunch of actors from the acting school. Go nuts, go crazy. You're the director. And I was (laughs) like, oh, okay. And they assign you mentors. And I was assigned, um, funnily enough, I was assigned the fella who. I I saw at this gig that I short-circuited, his name's Thomas Ford, he is my best friend in the whole wide world, Um, (laughs) and was the maid of honour at my wedding, (laughs) which was very confusing for a lot of people there, but it, never mind that, it totally makes sense, and yeah, he's ended up being like, um, he he started out as my mentor uh, for a fair few years, and we ended up uh, like uh, we filmed a, a mini-series, his mini-series, uh, Thomas Ford Chase, uh, in mm-hmm. Singapore together. We went on tour. Um, we did Edinburgh together, which was five years ago now, I'm being reminded by Facebook. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, we just became like the closest of friends and, yeah, he's now a um, collaborator and just, uh, yeah, like artistic soulmate of mine, Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and so I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for him. If I hadn't have snuck into that gig,
0: so <laughs>
1: I'd like to thank the lax licensing laws and the terrible security at Peekabar in uh, Perth uh, for that. Thank you. <laughs> it's amazing what you can do when you're confident with a lick of red lipstick.
0: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's quite the origin story.
1: Yeah, that's it. Like it's it's peak it's peak Jamie Michaela. <laughs>
0: Uh, so obviously Thomas Ford's got a lot of attention there Um, he once described you as Perth's ukulele cabaret queen
1: yeah he did this was like at the very 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 start Um, this was this was after I covered one of his songs I was still like yeah I was still kind of like trying to figure out what Cabaret was exactly. And I ended up covering like a handful of his songs because like imitation is the most sincerest form of flattery. Uh, and I just desperately wanted to be a 30-year-old uh, uh, electronic cabaret artist uh, when I was a 16-year-old girl with a ukulele. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and he shared, he shared one of my uh one of my covers and called me Perth Ukulele Cabaret Queen. And that that broke my brain. I was I was so gassed because that was like my first ever like quote that I had gotten aside from like someone at a venue calling me to camp to perform at the Rosemount. Uh, <laughs> God, that worked out well for me, didn't it?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, quotes about you, if you'll forgive me, I've seen some interesting things. Um, <laughs> the, the, the phrase comedy cabaret firecracker comes up quite a lot.
1: Yeah, yeah, firecracker is uh, what a lot of press use when they don't know how to describe a brash young woman um, (laughs) with a lot of energy. Uh, That um, and quirky, uh, they love love using the Q word.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've got a great one here, which I think is from your 2018 show, Napoleon Complex. Um, And the quote is, uh, a firecracker with an overinflated ego and a hard-earned imposter syndrome Colliding in a hot mess of costume changes, ukulele strings, songs, stories, and ping pong. Yes, <laughs> there's quite a lot going on there.
1: <laughs> yeah, that show was chaos. The uh, Colleen <laughs> Complex. That was my second show, and yeah, I um, <laughs> I had a, uh, I had a, I used to do a comedy burlesque routine. Um, to there's a song that's like quite iconic in australia called just a song about ping pong by a band called operator please it was released in like around about like 2008 or something like that and this is really really fast paced very kind of like punky track that's about two minutes long and the refrain is it's just a song it's just a song it's just a song about ping pong and then it goes kind of nuts on the guitars and drums and stuff like that and I had a comedy bell-esque routine with the um the the intro of it was done by Josh Glance um and it was him in like his best like transatlantic accent uh being like (laughs) and here we have the world's like top table tennis champion Jamie Michaela and what I would do is I would give the audience, I had 700 ping pong balls in like little dust bins and I would give them to the audience and I would come on stage in like this little kind of like ridiculous athletic outfit and I would start doing stretches. And when it kicked in, people would throw ping pong balls at me. And I would try and hit them, and I, I'm completely unco. I am not an athletic person whatsoever. Um, so I would try and hit them but also be manically trying to take my clothes off, and I put it together because I wanted to create the most unsexy burlesque routine you had ever seen in my life. And, like, <laughs> and I would, like, run into the crowd because I, I, I didn't have, like, a burlesque costume that was, like, easy release, kind of, like, designed to be taken off. I had, like... Right like a bomb sports bra that was two sizes too small. And so I would have to run into the crowd and ask someone to help me take it off. And like I would never have like tassel pasties. I would have like just like electrical tape across my nipples, which I would have to take off at the end uh, to much pain. Uh, And and so that was the way that I finished Napoleon Complex when I was in Adelaide doing Adelaide Fringe. And so after the show, it would be me tits out like in these little booty shorts just trying to pick up ping pong balls in the 15 minute changeover while audience (laughs) members are like trying to come up to me being like that was such a great show and I'm like just on the ground like topless just trying to like look after ping pong balls trying to get them into a suitcase so I can piss off and go to my next spot it was sheer chaos that show was a no it was nightmarish and it was like this ping pong routine was after like this like uh like good 10 minutes of the show that was like a very deep and emotional like kind of like chat about being a young woman in the arts and talking about feminism and harassment and stuff like that and then I'm like I'm gonna get my tits out and you're gonna throw things at me like (laughs) (laughs) welcome to fringe baby
0: wow my god what a (laughs) story That's got to be a million miles from what you expected when you took your ukulele to the, to the Fringe show. like, so, oh, this is my first time, and but I reckon in a few years I'll probably be scrabbling around on the floor half naked for ping pong balls.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was pretty much it. Like, constantly, yeah. like, <laughs> just refusing to get a pair of, like, safety knickers that fit me. So <laughs> I'd end up accidentally just, like, flashing my cooch to, like, an entire audience just with a ping pong paddle in front, just being like, oh, boy... Ooh. I need everyone to leave. We don't have the liquor licensing for coochie. Come on, get out, get out, get out. I need to clean up ping pong balls. Get out.
0: Yeah, don't worry. I'm quirky. I'm a firecracker. I'm, it's fine.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. This is a little scary, but also, like, get out. I'm legally in trouble. <laughs> <Ooh>.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> um. Okay, well, let's rewind a little bit back here. So
1: I'm so sorry. <laughs>
0: um, so what seems like about an hour and a half ago, you were talking about musical theatre.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so why not the, the full training in classic mainstream musical theatre? Why the cabaret detour?
1: I got really bored of doing other people's stuff. It was boring. (laughs) I was doing, like, a lot of theatre stuff and, like, I was doing plays and musicals and things like that. And, like, I love it, but, like, the thing is it's short-lived for, like, five nights when you're doing it kind of, like, like back then, like at a lower level. Like, it's really short-lived and I hated that because, like, the thing is it would be, like, this kind of, like, oh, my God, we're going to stay friends forever kind of thing and then they never fucking talk to you again.
2: Yeah.
1: Like... Yeah, it was just a little bit boring and restricting for me. And I was really lucky when I was in year eleven. I moved to a new school and um I <laughs> I got cast as Velma von Tussel in a production of hairspray. Mm-hmm. And um I was really confused because I was in year eleven and like main roles were meant to go to um were meant to go to automatically like year twelves and one of the year twelves had Mm-hmm. Audition for Velma von Tessel. She was automatically meant to get it. Luckily, she was someone that I absolutely fucking hated, so I was super <laughs> stoked. Um, but I was—I I, asked—I asked my drama teacher, who was also my English and a media teacher because I did filmmaking mm-hmm. um, and he he knew like the level of kind of like nonsense. There was an understanding there of each other that I was a pain in the ass, and I would <laughs> turn every essay into uh, a whinge about like how it doesn't pass the Bechdel test and things like that. There was an understanding there and we were very honest with each other and I was just like, sir, like why, why did you why did I get cast as Velma, who was meant to be, like, this, like, very tall kind of Debbie Harry kind of character. And he's like, well, honestly, Jamie, it's because you're a little bit of a bitch. <laughs> and I was like, listen, that's fair. I'll take it. All right, cool. And, that, like, that was really great. And I basically was given free reign on this character who, like, in, in the musical is, like, horrific. She is just the worst human, super racist, like the the misogyny is off the charts, the the delightful fat shaming and things like that. Mm. Um, and I was basically given free reign with this character and I was like, shit, yeah, I want more of this. Like. <laughs> <laughs> i i like whatever this is like i want more of it like being given that free reign was like a blessing and a curse because the blessing was like i was like oh yeah yeah yeah. this is this is right up my street the curse was musicals don't usually provide that (laughs) (laughs) it's meant to be done a certain way unless you're working with like a hippy-dippy director who wants to do a new agey version of something where it's got a completely different meaning Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, which is uh, few and far between. So I really enjoy doing musicals, but, like, they're not for me anymore. Like, I love going to them, don't get me wrong, and Mm -hmm. I really admire, like, the work, like, front of house, back of house that goes into it and how it is, like, this uh, well-oiled machine. Right. like i really really admire that like my heart flutters at a good like ensemble tap solo my my mind just like i'm 8 years old again watching what a way to go <laughs> and i'm like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen in my life um <laughs> same thing with like magic as well i'm just like this is the coolest <laughs> um but yeah it's just it's just not for me to do anymore right like and so, cabaret kind of gives me the freedom to kind of do what I feel, and if I do want or choose to get direction, I can. Yeah. But like, if I don't want to, I don't have to, and that's a that's a perks of being like a self produced and self directed artist. Right. Is that like I can reach out if I need that kind of like guidance?
0: Right. Yeah. What appeals to you more? Is it the solo? being a solo act on stage or is it the collaboration that you talked about there?
1: I I would say just like being a solo act and having that kind of like representation of myself and like being like this look upon my works, you mighty and despair. Sort of thing. <laughs> like all of this, all of what you see, that is me. Uh, I have done everything. Yeah. Like with, with a show, like for example, daddy, um, Two of my beautiful, beautiful best friends, um, Chloe Stewart, who is an amazing writer from Perth, and uh, Thomas Ford, who I talked about earlier, mm-hmm. um, they helped me kind of polish this script Um um, and helped kind of like punch it up and things like that, which was unbelievably helpful.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. But having that kind of like representation of self on stage, of a kind of like I'm the only person on stage, like I, I'm the one to be listened to in this particular circumstance, mm-hmm. which like is something that... I don't really get kind of, like, in my, like, day-to-day life. Like, I work in uh, customer-facing in kind of, like, on the outskirts of healthcare. Mm-hmm. I'm a very kind of, like, small, super firm-presenting kind of, like, nice young lady who butter wouldn't melt in my mouth uh, kind of thing, and there is a lack of kind of, like, assertiveness that, like, I would like to have, but I only have when I'm doing my art kind of thing if that okay. makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of philo- philosophical like mumbo jumbo like yeah. It's just kind of like being a solo artist means that yeah. I get kind of like I get listened to. Yeah. Which is really nice. And it's something that like yeah, I don't get.
0: But <laughs> well, something that you alluded to there which I I like to ask my guests about is the stage persona, how much of that is you or is it entirely a character that you're playing on on the stage?
1: Oh, that's an interesting one. I think, I think with definitely with daddy, it is it's an idealized version (laughs) of me turned up to (laughs) eleven. Like, yeah. So when I go when I go out to gigs and I'm like meeting people and stuff like that, like if I'm just like a punter or I'm doing photography for artists and stuff like that, there is like a very kind of like toned down version of Jamie Michaela. But, yeah, the full one is definitely kind of like on stage. Like some of the stuff that I say in that show, like (laughs) you you couldn't pay me enough to say like in casual conversation in real life. Um, Yeah, I feel like that particular Jamie has kind of like this there's a certain kind of like um, permission that comes with like the charm and magnetism of that character and the confidence of that character that like she can get away with murder, like (laughs) some truly outlandish shit comes out of that lady's mouth and like (laughs) I watch videos back and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm sorry for what I said when I was on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Like a lack of filter and a lack of just like, Care because, like, yeah, at least with that show, like, with the entire point of that show, it's kind of like, what is somebody going to do? Disagree? Optics yes. aren't great on that. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I want to talk to you about Daddy, which is the show that I saw at uh, Oxford recently. And this is quite a quote heavy episode because there's a lot, a lot of these quotes about you are fantastic. Uh, and I hope you'll forgive me
1: i'm I'm I've been absolutely blessed with quotes I think like I've been truly spoiled that when like when like a poorly written review comes in I'm just like what huh
0: <laughs> well let's there you go let's let's talk first before we get onto the these fantastic quotes and your show um daddy let's ask you about reviews I mean how do you respond to criticism
1: I with with a show like Daddy and Oh my god, this feels this feels like I'm sucking myself off here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I haven't received a, a review for any of my shows that's been under four stars ever. Yep. I have so many Google alerts on my name and every variation of my name, just <laughs> at the off chance that I've missed one. I've not yet missed one. The one piece of criticism I've gotten for a show like Daddy, uh for specifically for Daddy, sorry. Um, was uh, a remark that I make about a song that John Lennon wrote and this particular piece of uh, criticism was I, I think Jamie missed the mark here. This song is the song of an emancipator, not a slaver. And <laughs> I was like, okay, sure, <laughs> but also keeping in mind uh, the particular slurs that are being used, and this particular reviewer is, um, uh, uh, is 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 white, is a white guy mm. uh, from Perth, and I'm like, I really don't think that you have the credentials to say whether this song is a song of an emancipator. Mm. Um, and like that was that was the one piece of criticism I've gotten for this show, which is nuts. Yeah. It's nuts. Like I've had people, I've had like I've had like especially like um like slightly older art dads like come up to me and be like, yeah, oh like it definitely was a different time and I'm like oh but babes I addressed that like yeah. <laughs> we've talked about that <laughs> Um yeah, which I yeah, that's what I mean when I say I've been spoiled. I have no doubt that like when I was doing it in Perth and stuff like that and a handful of comedians came to it. Um I have no doubt that they would have their criticisms, especially with me billing myself as comedy whilst being a kind of cabaret storytelling act. Yeah. Um but yeah, like I haven't I haven't received a lot of criticism on this show <laughs> and I I am very, very blessed because I'm a very sensitive young lady. <laughs> when when she's not on stage, she's like very, very fragile and very gentle. <laughs> Surprisingly.
0: <laughs> but that even more begs the question: why why write such a, a challenging show? One that challenges perspective so much and and obviously opening yourself up to the criticisms you've just mentioned.
1: I think because so this show started off like its first season which was at um the now defunct um Lacey Susan's comedy den at the Brisbane Hotel in Perth. Mm-hmm. It started off as a very kind of like the performance of it was very kind of like emotionally volatile. It was very raw because there's, um, I was still processing what kind of the particular event that inspired this show, which I talk about in kind of like that spoken word segment, Mm -hmm. um, where it's kind of like the reveal is, oh, it's actually, the show is actually about her, Uh, blah, that kind of thing. Um, And It would, I think because it was so very visually, uh, like the audience could definitely feel that it was like a very raw and emotional show. I feel like that kind of like set the tone of like, and unfortunately it set the tone of kind of like, oh, I don't think, I don't think we should criticise this show. And I didn't write it for people to think that. I did Hmm. write it to challenge people because like the, In my experience of being like a young woman in the arts and um, observing and unfortunately uh, playing a small role in the abuse of those power dynamics in the arts, like this was a show that I needed to write because I needed to process something that kind of fucked me up Mm -hmm. um, and very much left me like disillusioned with the kind of like very very militant kind of like kill your heroes kind of thing
2: right.
1: um, that, yeah, I just, I, I couldn't shake. But now kind of like with the more separation that comes from that, mm. like I definitely want to invite kind of conversation about my show and yeah. uh, invite kind of like invite criticism because it's kind of like, Like I address some kind of, like I preempt some criticism like within the show, like especially with people being like it was a different time. You can't uh, hold like things that happened like decades ago to modern standards and things like that. And like, and especially like because there was a lot of chatter surrounding the show about kind of like uh, cancelling people and things like that. And it very much like now I very much don't want the show to be that. I want it to be kind of like recognition of kind of like that um, our heroes can be flawed individuals. Mm -hmm. Like the thing is like my straight up Lord and Savior as a snaggletooth bisexual young lady is David Bowie. Mm. Like, and oh, boy, he's a treasure trove (laughs) for it. Like that, like, yeah, him having like, like a soft kind of like Nazi phase when he was in Berlin, like that's wild and like if if like an act as big as David Bowie like imagine if like someone like Harry Styles went to Berlin did a bunch of coke and then was kind of like oh maybe they had like a point like that would not fly <laughs>
0: I'm not sure that hasn't and, uh, happened. But,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like like, like if it has, uh, he's kept it very quiet. Um, his PR team are working around the clock, uh, Harry Styles, to be cancelled next year, owning Nazi memorabilia or something like that. Like it's going to be great. It's going to be delicious. Watch yeah. Twitter like just go up in flames. Oh, yeah. It's going to be, oh, that's going to be a treat. Can't wait to write a show about that. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, we're talking about your show, um, which obviously you're familiar with and I've seen, but for the benefit Mm of listeners who unfortunately have not yet, what is the overarching premise of the story?
1: So Daddy is a show about the long-lasting Lolita complex that pop and rock music has had for the last 50 years. Mm -hmm. Um, It's uh, To put it in very kind of blunt terms, it's a... It's the jukebox cabaret of noncey songs written by rock stars that we love Um, and how there was this kind of fascination with uh, very often underage girls
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and how those songs are still massive hits to this day.
0: Yeah. 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 So, yeah. (laughs) So I'm going to go back to those quotes I alluded to earlier. Uh, with regard to this show. This is from the performance that I saw in July at the Oxford Fringe. Yep. This is a great article written by George Fogarty. Um, and he says... Oh, wasn't it? That so
1: such a well-written review.
0: Yeah. Jamie and Michaela, there's no separation between discomfort and the hilarity. I really yeah. think that's a wonderful line because I, I think that sums it up for me because the sounds of the gasps and intakes of breath yeah followed by the the you know the nervous laughter rippling around the room was quite the contrast is that what you anticipated
1: absolutely that's exactly what I wanted um (laughs) going going back to kind of like when when I was younger and I snuck in to see Thomas perform yeah the hilarity came from the discomfort like I, I I really really relish in that like um putting people in like a low stakes situation where they're slightly uncomfortable or they're greeted with something that they're kind of like oh I don't know about this and the laughter that comes from that is like such it's yeah it's intoxicating it's it's a really really wonderful thing where you can kind of yeah like to sound like a like every other, like, stand-up wanker, put up a mirror to society. Uh, (laughs) And what they're seeing, like, what they're they're hearing is a song that they might, like, hum along to in the supermarket, but now they're having to actually listen and it's kind of like they're, it's something that's so familiar, but they're now seeing it in a completely different context and that makes people uncomfortable.
2: Yeah.
1: And that makes me happy. (laughs) Like... (laughs) <laughs> that makes me really happy and that kind of nervous laughter is so so good. Like I I rather like nervous laughter yeah than kind of like the kind of like guffawing kind of even like a slight kind of like <clears throat> that you get at <laughs> like a, when you look at a meme on Twitter like yeah I would rather that than that because that that means uh vaguely amusing. That means someone's thinking yeah. Like the nervous laughter means that someone's thinking and that there is a variety of emotions, and the only way that they can deal with it is laughing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I find it interesting. It's good.
0: I've got to go back to uh, Mr. Fogarty's words now. I did say this was a quote heavy <laughs> episode.
1: It's all uh, right. I love talking about myself. <laughs>
0: yeah, of course. Why wouldn't you? So there's a, a note about your singing that I thought, here we go. Jamie has an incredible and incredibly versatile voice which veers from husky 1940s balladeer to saccharine sweet poppet to throaty devil pervert with consummate ease.
1: The greatest quote I've ever gotten on my voice. Like, that, <laughs> that hit the nail on the head. That, like... The day that I got that, the day that that review came out, it was my second wedding anniversary and I was about to go in to go get a Thai massage and I was just buzzing knowing (laughs) that like when I got home and I got on my computer, that was going in every single press kit for every single show I've done. (laughs)
2: Like,
1: oh, thank you, George. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Like, yeah, really hit the nail on the head with that one. Yeah, throaty devil pervert. That's bang on, lad. Like absolutely bang on, because I know exactly what he's referring to in that show, and I'm like, "Yes, good." (laughs) (laughs) "Mm, (laughs) Yes, but yeah, like also just like the husky 1940s balladeer, like just scratches that little like theater kid itch that's in the back of my head, and like, and like especially now that like I'm I'm at the moment I'm listening to a lot of like early like 1950s, uh, like rhythm and blues and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, thank yeah. you.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> really striking my ego with that quote. Yeah. Really, really hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun playing around with the voice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you feel like you're a singer doing other things, playing ukulele, doing comedy, or do you feel like, is it something else?
1: That's yeah, that's really interesting. Actually, um, I like I'm a I'm a singer first and foremost. Um, mm-hmm. I trained for twelve years classically. Yeah, I I am extremely extremely lucky and extremely blessed to have had the training that I've had. Um, Basically, um, my mum realised that I wasn't academic in the slightest, but that I had a had a bloody pair of pipes on me, and she's like, "Well, <laughs> let's do that." She's evidently not going to be a doctor, uh, <laughs> so we'll just we'll just put her in the Australian Youth Choir. It'll be fine. She can learn how to sing in Latin. That'll be great. She can definitely definitely make money off of that. Um, uh, plot twist: I did not, um, and. Yeah, so I am I am a vocalist first and foremost. Like that is where my training is where like yeah, I've trained for like almost like half of my life. Um and it was like the the one thing I had that I was really good at and that I knew I was really good at. Yeah. And so yeah, all of all of those years of kind of like busking in the um central business district of Perth and things like that. Like it was always like I am a vocalist. Like sure, I am accompanying myself on an instrument, but like I'm first, like I'm not a master ukulele player by any means, <laughs> and I, I I can play about like three chords on guitar, um, which like according to Lou Reed, that's classified as jazz. So I'll take it. But yeah, first and foremost, I I'm 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 a vocalist. I'm a singer. But there's something about kind of like. Something weird that, like, I probably—it's probably just on me and in my head. Like, it's something weird about being like I'm a singer. Mm. Like, it's like no, you're not just that. You're a particular kind of singer. Like, yeah. um you're a cabaret artist. Like, you—you yeah. you sing in a particular way, and the stuff that you do surrounding the singing also comes into play. Yeah. So it's a—it's a weird one because I'm also kind of like after years of being told that what I do isn't comedy, I'm now feeling extremely confident in calling yeah. myself a comic. But, like, yeah, it's just a head. Like, I've got my fingers in a bunch of, like, weird little kind of, like, performance pies where it's just kind of like, oh, cabaret artist. Yeah. That'll, that'll do. That'll do. <laughs> nice little umbrella term. It's like she's a storyteller. She's a comedian. Like, bleh. <laughs> Weird. It it, Yeah, it all feels very kind of like wanky to kind of like unpack it like that. And So I just kind of like, oh, yeah, like I'm a comedy cabaret artist. That's what I do. Like I sing, I play instruments, I tell stories, I make people laugh. Sometimes I get my tits out and you can throw ping pong balls at them. (laughs) Who knows? Cabaret artist covers all of that, thank God. (laughs) So I don't have to go into that specific detail.
0: Yeah. So I'm a I'm a huge comedy fan. This is a comedy podcast. Um, I've seen many hundreds of performers.
1: Amazing.
0: And you know I've seen all kinds of comedy: stand up, improv, sketch comedy, musical comedy. I have no other gods before it. Comedy is my jam. Mm-hmm. Your show was incredibly funny. I mean, it's way up there for me with the shows that I've seen. So, but more than that, it, I mean, it opened up a I'm aware of cabaret. I've seen some cabaret shows. I'm aware of um Marcel Lecomte. you have mentioned earlier, his cabaret fantastique. But for me it was all a little bit whatever I've seen has always been a little bit too exuberant for my delicate sensibilities. It's very flamboyant sure. and I'm sort of going yeah. okay. All right, bring it down. But what so, but what you were doing was um not only hilariously funny, but it was The music, uh, the singing, particularly which was fantastic singing, um, and the choices that you made, and the power behind the message, I thought was phenomenal. I was really impressed by it. So, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, if I was to talk to someone about comedy and they say, "Well, what sort of comedy, you know, are you into?" I would now put cabaret under that umbrella very firmly. Oh,
1: that makes me so happy! Um, Yeah. Oh my god, thank you so much, number one. Oh my (laughs) god, my little heart. Um, I think like. I, I, I totally understand what you mean with a lot of kind of cabaret um, being, like, quite exuberant and quite kind of, like, flamboyant and things like that. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I totally understand that and I absolutely kind of, like, uh, totally get where you're coming from because I I have a similar thing. I, I've watched a lot of cabaret. I've watched, like, from, like, very much kind of, like, champagne cabaret mm-hmm. to, um, like, Someone performing songs in like the back room of a 24 hour diner. Mm-hmm. Like,
2: yeah.
1: so very different ends of the spectrum, but still the same genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think potentially what might be the thing about mine is that it is still really grounded. I don't have like a huge budget. I'm still like very much kind of like self producing on a shoestring and things yeah. like that. I I'm not here to present glitters and sequins and kind of <laughs> spectacle. There I love spectacle though. Like I love going to see spectacle.
2: Mm-hmm. And there's
1: like a few a few acts that like kind of combine the very much kind of like grounded kind of thing with the kind of glitter and sequins and one that definitely comes to mind um, who I I adore to the ends of the earth and will forever be an absolute awe of is Ruben Kay, who is this like seven foot, still wearing like a beautiful high Cuban heel, uh, gender mess that is like like a terrifying like nightmare timeline Elton John with like just a taste for blood like you you watch you watch him and you are you don't know whether he's going to fight you or fuck you and it is a joy every time and like yeah he's currently up in Edinburgh absolutely smashing it um and he's he's an Australian lad as well he's from Melbourne I believe and um like yeah there is definitely that kind of like uh very much punk sensibilities combined with like um, higher budget and uh, just a bananas, like like everyone, everyone loves a man in a false lash up in Edinburgh. <laughs> they go crazy for that shit. And I, they eat it up. They're like, hell yeah, this person is terrifying and they're wearing massive lashes. Beautiful. We'll take it. They'll present the press night. It'll be fantastic. um <laughs> And yeah, it's very much kind of like that a uh, really solid combination of that kind of like uh lo-fi kind of uh independent, yeah, punk sensibilities and things like that. Yeah. Like Tom has the same thing as well. Um yeah, there is kind of like uh, like a lot of like what Tom and I do, are uh, not so much Reuben, um, but what Tom and I do is considered like, and it feels wanky every time, oh cabaret. Like, because we're not in fancy bullshit costumes with a bajillion expensive rhinestones and Swarovski (laughs) crystals all over us singing Wise Minnelli covers. (laughs) And that's okay. Like, I love that shit. Don't get me wrong, but it's just it's not for me. Like, you wouldn't catch me dead performing in a corset. Like... (laughs) No way. And it's kind of like this, like, um, like slightly unpolished kind of thing in comparison to like, there's some amazing, amazing artists in Perth who are doing like very much like heading towards like the Champagne Cabaret, definitely catering their stuff to um, variety lineups, like, um, Le clique and things like that like you've got CC desist who is like a Vegas showgirl singing um like Liza covers and things like that and she is beautiful and stunning and so talented um and then like on the flip side of that there's like me who's in a shabby vintage dress playing ukulele <laughs> I don't have a full band with me but that's it. I wouldn't have it any other way <laughs> So I think it's just I think alt cabaret might be your your cup of tea maybe like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. I sure. reckon that that might be kind of like the little um, little uh, rabbit hole that you might need to go <laughs> down if you if you if you're digging cabaret.
0: It's always another rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> always,
1: always, little subgenres everywhere, tiny, tiny little niches <laughs> that'll find yourself watching like. 2010 like video clips of Joey black singing a sick love sick love song uh
0: (laughs) (laughs) this show because of um pandemics and what have you Mm -hmm. this show has been a while in the in the making is it the show today that it was when you started writing it
1: so i would i i was really lucky so i performed i performed this show um in 2019 Mm
2: -hmm.
1: so the show has been performed for a while now and um I during the pandemic I did online versions of it which was really odd yeah. But I did it as a part of um, uh, a thing called Normal Place, which is a streaming platform based in Perth mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of like a um, like Netflix for weirdos kind of thing, <laughs> like specifically for kind of like fringe artists. So you've got like people like Cameron Moore doing their shows. You've got Tom doing his shows. You've got me doing my show. Um, you've got like uh, Joni Boyd and Saoirse, uh who are spoken word artists from um, Perth. Uh, mm-hmm. doing their shows and things like that and it ends up being a lot more kind of like multimediay. Um and we had a chat function mm-hmm. and like throughout the show I would like check in on the chat uh, like and see kind of like the commentary of people like talking about the show as it's going on
2: yeah
1: um, which was like really really cool and I think definitely kind of like set a good path for being able to perform this show to kind of like Maybe more quieter, kind of like more contemplative audiences, which I've had people who just want to kind of like sit and listen politely and think about what is being presented to them.
2: Yeah,
1: um, yeah, it's definitely, definitely not the show that it was when I first when I first did it because it was a very kind of like angry emotionally volatile show sure. and now yeah. it's definitely kind of like a place of joy and fun for me yeah. that it's kind of like this safe spl- safe safe space <laughs> safe space where I can play um, with uh, teetering on the edges of like um, what's appropriate and what's not. Yeah especially in regards to kind of like interacting with the audience members and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely, definitely taken taken a turn from being like a very angry, very negative show um, to being kind of like a celebration. Yeah. Yeah.
0: There's a lot of, lot of moving parts. You've got the music, you've got singing and playing, you've got comedy in there, you've got a story, <laughs> a message as well. Mm -hmm. how do you keep all those plates spinning at once what do you prioritize
1: um so with this show the way that I kind of like did it was like I had my core idea which was kind of like processing this weird situation that I was in Mm -hmm. um, in processing an event and then I needed something like I didn't want to kind of like make the show specifically about that yeah. And so I expanded that kind of, like, spider map style. I expanded that to, oh, power imbalances in the arts. And then okay. you need to find kind of, like, a a thing to wrap it up with. Like, what is the kind of, like, shtick that's going to be in kind of, like, the, um, like, in the advertising and things like that. And I was like, oh, groupie culture.
2: Right. That's
1: a really interesting one because, like, I I went to a lot of shows while I was underage. I followed bands around, mm-hmm. like I, like I have been basically a modern day groupie before. Like that's a really interesting, and that kind of like, brought in um where to go from there. So I put a set list together. There was like twenty two songs that could have gone in this show that are all like massive hits. Yeah, um, and I had to kind of like create a story and the way that I created the story is like the girls getting younger and younger as the show goes on yeah and it kind of like starts at this kind of um uh very fun kind of like start and kind of ends in this kind of like uncomfortable pit uh and I just needed to kind of like fill fill in the space right between that so at least for this show because it's a jukebox cabaret yeah. like the music came first and yeah. then I kind of like worked my way down yeah. and um yeah filled filled in the space in between and um yeah that's that's how that show worked
0: yeah yeah for all the uh the darkness at its heart it's a very funny show it's very yeah funny.
1: yeah it's very funny it's a really it's a it's a fun show to perform <laughs> as well like <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I love performing the show so much and I love the varied reactions that I've had. Like I've had people like talk yeah. to me after the show being like that was like the funniest thing, oh, my God. Like talking about specifically the comedy, you yeah. have people who come through who are like your voice, like you're playing, like I really enjoyed the music aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like women in their 60s in tears after the show who, like, just hug me and just lose it. And, like, I was uh, at my season at State Theatre Centre of Western Australia in 2020, um, sorry, 2021, Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I had this lady basically, like, sit me down after the show. She bought me a drink and she's, like, a whole bunch of stuff got said in that show that I've never had the balls to kind of talk about in regards to myself. And, like, this was a lady who was, like, tearing up in a very big way and had been crying, th- like, towards the end of the show. Yeah. And she's like, you are providing a voice to a generation of now women who were once girls who experienced things not far from what you're talking about in this show. And, like, that was, that was really full on for me. I was like, yeah. whoa. Oh boy, this is this yeah. is a lot. <laughs> um, and then you'll have someone being like, yeah, those those uh, those nonce jokes are hilarious, eh? <laughs> Like as the next person, and I'm like, wow, this is <laughs>
0: that's yeah, so.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then like some like like old fella being like, yeah, I'm still gonna listen to the Beatles. So I'm like, sick, so am I, dude. Like <laughs> Right on. You're just never going to be able to listen to Rubber Soul all the way through without thinking of me. Like, <laughs> enjoy that. Or like my, my dad, he came to my show and afterwards he's just like, that was a really important show, sweetheart. I'm very proud of you and you know that I love you. However, Stray Cat Blues used to be my favourite Rolling Stones song. And I'm like, well, that's for you to unpack, Dad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. <sighs> So it would be remiss of me not to be talking to uh, a young woman on the comedy slash cabaret circuit and not mention gender politics. So oh, yeah, God, yeah.
1: it's exhausting, isn't it?
0: <laughs> well, I'm very much on the outside, but yes, it's feels uh, exhausting from my perspective.
1: One thing that I will say about kind of gender politics, and um, like, I just want to. Briefly acknowledge Matthew Trudone who single-handedly put together um Oxford Comedy Festival, which mm-hmm. I was lucky enough to perform in. Yeah. Holy hell, that is what a comedy festival should look like. <laughs> like that is what a comedy festival should look like. Like it was baffling to me. So living living in Perth, I mm-hmm. and like occasionally touring around Australia, I I hadn't seen a festival that looked like that, where there was like practically like equal representation when it came to like gender and uh like um like diversity uh and uh representation of underrepresented voices in mm-hmm. comedy and things like that. Yeah. There was practically none of that in in specifically in Perth and I will like <laughs> I will dunk on Perth a little bit for this because sure. like I grew up there and you know I cut my teeth there yeah. and I know um and it was just it was amazing like scrolling through that website and looking at the names it was such a delight to be a part of a lineup like that and I was like wow like this is this is what this is what we can do this is exactly what we can do yeah. the voices are there it's just they need to be amplified, like <laughs> like it was genuinely groundbreaking. And I'm like, I forwarded the uh, the lineup for Oxford Comedy Festival to a handful of bookers in WA, and I'm like, fellas, step your colloquial pussy up, like, <laughs> like with all due respect, like this is what festivals should look like. If, like if if you're whinging about kind of like there are no women in comedy there are no female <laughs> comedians that I can book it's like okay you're not asking the bigger question here babes you're not asking the question as to why mm. like I have a handful of friends who have stepped away from comedy purely for the sake of like their own goddamn mental health mm. and I'm like you, you're not focusing on the bigger picture here guys you you've got a small town attitude yeah. and if like if Oxford which is like in comparison to like the UK it's got big small town vibes like it reminds me a lot of like Adelaide if Oxford can put a lineup like that together, what fucking excuse does Australia have? Absolutely yeah. none. Do your research. <laughs> Look harder. <laughs> Look harder. Because the art is there. It's just not yeah. being like sought out and it's not being given the same opportunities that other art might get. Yeah. Like baffling, baffling stuff. Sorry, that's my rant about Perth. Yeah, uh-
0: great for it. <laughs> I mean, I was gonna I was gonna ask how you feel. Uh, approaches to women or to diversity in general or, or you know non, uh, non-binary non or whatever you want to call the the broadness of, of humanity mm. if the approaches mm. have been different over time but I think it sounds like it's different over continents
1: exactly that's exactly it like I have been lucky and maybe it's because I'm just going to the right comedy rooms and hanging out with the right people <laughs> I have not seen one like edgy cunt I an not open mic yet <laughs> when you would get at least three every night in Perth and I'm like wow this is wild it just shows kind of like like just the differences between the scene and things like that and how kind of like very much um bigoted content just yeah. kind of gets shut down here it's yeah. it's 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 a treat. It's a fucking treat, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> like it's delightful. Like the fact that I can go to an open mic night and just not be exhausted by like the absolute audacity and fuckery of like yeah. an open mic for five minutes. I'm like, oh wow, I've left an open mic night feeling good. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs>
0: i love that jamie how can we how can we find out about you what you're doing where you're going to be playing
1: um i'm mostly active on uh on the socials, so you can find me at jamie mckayla on basically everything so facebook.com forward slash jamie mckayla uh instagram i'm just at jamie mckayla and Twitter, I am at Jamie McKayla.
0: I'll put links to those in the show notes as well. Let's conclude our, our interview today with, um, Jamie, can you sum up comedy in a nutshell?
1: Oh, 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 that's a good, that's a really good question. Um,
0: <laughs> I base my entire podcast around it.
1: <laughs> that's such a good question. Comedy in a nutshell, at least for me, is something that can simultaneously provide me with serotonin from laughing and feeling good, but also potentially have another side to that of, like, education. But even then, like, it doesn't have to. I think it's something that just provides me serotonin and amusement because, like, you can have a show like mine, which is funny and educational, but you can also have um, a show like, uh Gary Starr saves theatre uh which is just pure silliness and joy so I think I think comedy is simultaneous with joy for me yeah yeah
0: beautiful Jamie thank you so much for being with me today it's been an absolute delight I've loved talking thank, you. thank, you. thank you
1: this has been so delightful thank you so much thank you I'll see you around the traps
0: you will you will
1: I'll catch you later